Oh, yeah, you know, I uh, am playing a bumper. Some of you on the Internet and podcast won't hear it, but it's uh, Elvis, uh, Promised Land, it's called. Played it a lot of times before. But, uh, you know, he's talking about uh, heading out and to California as part of one of the places he's headed. And, of course, we all know that anybody that had any kind of sense, and Elvis had some sense, wouldn't be going to California right now. <laughs> but, uh, hey, it's a good song. Uh, I kind of like the uh, upbeat nature of it. We need to be upbeat. What was that? We need to be upbeat as well, uh, because we are now beginning the season of inundated with polling. Yes, the polling that shows that Joe Biden is just the most popular person that's ever walked onto the summit of America. No one is more popular than Joe. His Inflation Reduction Act has done things that no man has done before. He's boldly gone there. He's like Captain James Tiberius Kirk. He's amazing. His energy, his compassion, his ability to smell hair from, a, you know, two or three inches away. It's it's just not something that a regular human being can do. Those are the kinds of polling we're getting. Uh, on Friday, there was a poll that came out. I You had to search for it. It was from left-wing polling company. Joe's... Poll numbers have shot up. They've shot up to 45%. I think these people had him at 44 before. <laughs> In actuality, if I had to guess from just reading about 10 or 12 different polls and and looked at a couple of them about who they're polling, and I even read the New York Times article that was talking about how shaky polling is, which surprises you, the New York Times would do it. So imagine how shaky it really is because they think they're not polling enough Republicans and conservatives, and that part of that reason, underneath it all, is they don't want to, but is because Republicans and conservatives don't answer polls. They don't want to talk to these people. And you can't trust them. Look what happens if you say to somebody, well, I voted for Donald Trump. I mean, some stranger at your door or on the phone, God knows what they're going to say and do. So no one's going to say any of that stuff. So the poll numbers for these characters are going to be much higher for conservatives than they're saying they are and much lower for Democrats than they're saying they are. Now, how will that be reflected in the voting in November? It's hard to say because we don't know what the truth is about anything anymore. We have to sort of pick and gleam through every, glean through it all to see what's out there. We've turned into the old Soviet Union when it comes to consuming news in many instances. We have to read between the lines and see what they're not talking about. And that tells us about what's happening. I mean, it's it's sad. Uh, I do say that when I look at a variety of different news sources on a topic, especially something that I feel like I've read a, kind of a definitive, straight-down-the-line information about it, know a little bit more about it, and I, I try and see how different news organizations handle that story, I still think that most of the time Fox News, despite the fact that they are more conservative, when it comes to reporting the actual stories, tend to be a little more down the middle of the road than anybody else, and they actually give you more of the story. Now, when it gets to the opinion hosts, of course, they're just like me. They're gonna they're gonna try and highlight certain things in them. But you get you get more and better news off Fox. I hate to say, it, and you get more and better news off Fox Business than you do CNBC. Uh, and CNBC was trying for a while because they were struggling so much to be a little bit more fair. But they really don't know how. I mean, this is part of the problem. It's like people talk to me about the newspapers now. Well, you can't even be mad at them. I mean, they're you know they're they're trundling off into the distance. They're disappearing, and 
the people that are still there, I mean, their staffing is down. A lot of newspapers are about 20, 25% of what they used to be. And um, the people that are there are, you know, your uh, your hardcore leftist loons, the HLLs. And they're writing most of the story. I mean, it's going to do the best they can, considering what they want to try and do. So what can you expect? Uh, and so as we look into this coming couple of months, just prepare to be inundated by very negative stuff. Uh, the Republicans are losing. They've lost momentum. They don't know where to go. They're lost in the woods. They're feeling their way. They don't know what's happening. The public's turning on them. The abortion debate has crushed the Republicans. This is what you hear out there. It's, for the most part, not true. But like I said earlier in the show, you are being sort of fed the line that, hey, you remember how Republicans always can snatch uh, defeat from victory? It's happening again. And you're ready to believe that because you've seen it enough times. Republicans have a hard time messaging anymore. Uh, we're not, by definition of conservatives, sort of individuals, whereas the left is speaks with one voice. I mean, literally one voice. I mean, if, if you hear a term out there, human trafficking, that's what we were talking about in the last segment, It's it pops up everywhere instantly. Everybody's using it. They have the same approach, the same didactic way of addressing a problem. They are programmed immediately. It's pretty impressive, really. Uh, Republicans have a hard time, and there's this a lot more elbows thrown in the Republican Party, uh, and they're thrown in front of everybody, so it makes them look like they're more uh, rambunctious with each other than the left is. And so it's easier to see that. And it, and it does cause problems. We do have a fair amount of the problem of primaries being very divisive and then people staying home because they're mad because they're candidate in the primary. And sometimes it's understandable. I mean, there's a couple I'm familiar with that are, you know, I'm very familiar with where I don't like the candidate that ended up there really at all. The only thing is that I have to adopt the Democrat uh, way of thinking about these things that any Republican almost, you got to leave a tiny bit of wiggle room there, like a 2% wiggle room. Better than any Democrat. You, know, you want to make sure that if you get somebody that's really crazy, uh, that you just can't vote for them in good conscience. But uh, that hasn't happened in 99% of the time. So I, I adopt that. But am I crazy about some of the Republican candidates? No. They may not track what I want. And the other thing that they're hearing out there is, oh, this Dobbs decision on abortion. Oh, it's energized the left. It's, However, that doesn't really seem to be the case. I think it has in a few places. And... It, it may tip a couple of congressional races if the people running don't handle it properly. I, I think one of the issues was, and this, this applies to both Democrats and uh, Republicans or conservatives, is that they weren't really ready to deal with this issue. And they didn't have a manufactured answer or even a good answer. But the Democrats are experts at whipping up this issue into a frenzy. They've been lying to people for decades that... The Supreme Court was going to outlaw abortion everywhere. Of course, that's not what happened. It simply let the states decide. Some of the states weren't ready for it. And frankly, some of the states that had some conservatives a few years ago had built some laws in that were very hardcore. And they didn't give them much thought because they never thought they would come into play. It was something they could put on there and say, well, if Roe ever goes down, then this is what we're going to do. But they didn't really believe that was going to happen, not, not during their career. So they didn't really think through some of these things. So some were kind of clumsy, and they haven't really examined them. And frankly, they're flat-footed on them a little bit. 
The left, less so, but nevertheless, still has some of the same problems. They've been very far out there on these issues. And they don't want to have to explain them now that there's a question about, well, what should we allow in our state? They were able to go back and say, well, the Supreme Court says, well, the Supreme Court hasn't said that anymore. They, get, they said the states get to decide. So what do you have to say about it? So the left has a fair amount of that problem, too. This hasn't been focused on quite as much. And I think that solving this issue, because it's an issue that is so ingrained in the political back and forth, and it's deeply felt by many people, that it, to me, it's not something that the legislature should deal with directly, but they should get guidance directly from the people. Now, we all like to think that our legislatures are directed by the will of the people, you know, that we select people to represent us in the state legislature and they reflect our values to some extent or whatever the case may be. We all know that's not true. Uh, but we also realize that really important issues once in a while, uh, plebiscite is probably called for. In other words, let the people vote. Now, the left made a big deal out of this uh, uh, one they had in Kansas on this issue. One they had in Kansas, I think, was kind of poorly drafted. I looked at it briefly. Uh, it's it seemed it was it sounded real draconian about uh, the abortion question. No matter how you, f- you if you feel there should be absolutely none of it, then that probably was your thing. If you see that a lot of the voters out there have some opinion about it, that tends to soften early on in the process, but then gets very much against it as you go through the pro- the end of the pregnancy, um, then you kind of see what, what happened. I, I don't think they did a good job of it, and the, and the left really misrepresented a lot of it, too, and had a ton of money to do it with. So I'm not taking that as a bellwether. But I do think that the people need to have really direct input on this, and we need some drafting of some some ballot issues uh, to let people speak out on this and let them decide in their own states and with their own conscience and how they feel about things. And I think that's the best way. I frankly don't trust our state legislatures any more than I trust Congress to decide issues like that, that have a high capacity for, for people having strong feelings and that have religious and ethical and moral overtones. Uh, I, I don't trust politicians with that very much. I really don't. Uh, And, you know, when you're talking about moral and ethical decisions and you put the word politician with it, it's, uh, you know, they're pretty much on opposite sides of the fence about 80% of the time. So uh, I don't think we should do that. But we should definitely put some things together so that the people can speak directly on these issues. And that should be the answer for Republicans, is that this is something for the people to decide. This is a closely held issue that Republicans and independents and Democrats and whomever have strong feelings on, and it should be done in the openest form possible, which is probably ballot issues. We all know there are problems with that, too. I mean, if you have a ballot issue, you're going to get millions, tens of millions of dollars from outside interest pouring in on these things, uh, usually from the left. But nevertheless, it's an imperfect system, but I think it's, to me, it's better to let the people speak. I mean, you're always best when you can have government closest to the will of the people. And on issues like this, I think that makes sense. And I think they'll get their feet under them on that. I also think it's not as big an issue for many people as 
as they're making out because there, there are other things right in front of them right this minute. That is their ability to buy food and gasoline and things like that for their family, being able to afford the basic, basic things in their life. Or as what, um, Victor Davis Hansen refers to as the stuff of life is what the uh, ancients called it. You know, the basics things, the food, water. I mean, clean water is going to be a problem in some of these places. We talked last week about the fact polio was popping up in, you know, wastewater in New York. Um, there's, these are very troubling things and, um, they're all courtesy of the Biden administration in most instances and, or the policies that have come from them and Barack Obama and really what we've been doing to some extent since the Great Society. A lot of these problems have been accelerated at certain times, you know, under certain administrations, but the seeds of the, some of these ideas started taking place. Well, you, you can go back as far as you want, but we, we really see the concentration of them under the Great Society with Lyndon Johnson. I mean, this, this idea that government can fix poverty. Think about that. How's that how, has that ever happened? Of course not. Is it likely to happen? Not really. We could redefine poverty and then take over all the means of production and everybody live like uh, drones in little caves of steel someplace. Uh, of course, with, you know, suitably compensated overlords. But uh, I guess you could say that would be, you know, poverty would go away. I don't think that's exactly what people mean, because then you just impoverish everybody is essentially what you're doing there. This has been done in socialist countries, uh, certainly communist countries, and it's terrible. So the idea that we were going to do that, you know, in 1966, uh, that that was going to get solved by a few strokes of a pen by LBJ and the Congress and all that stuff was, when you look back on it, is silly. And if you really want to see how these programs spiral out of control, and I know I said this before, uh, read The Great Society by Amity Schlales, who also wrote, of course, that fantastic book, The Forgotten Man. Uh, that was all about the Depression, FDR, and was completely right in line with what was going along with the Obama administration, who were trying so many of the same things. Actually, the left has been trying all the same things for a long time. They were crystallized under FDR, and he was in a certain situation that's very similar to the one that, that, well, we are now and certainly under Obama. And that was a fantastic book. And The Great Society is is similar. And I should put it back up again. If not, you guys can find it. Amelie Schlales has got two or three lectures on YouTube about The Great Society, about her book. And, and they're very informative. And I mentioned uh, one that I think was really good about... Uh, a project that she just takes one thing out of her book, this project in St. Louis, an inner city project building, you know, uh, low income housing, which you kind of wish that you could show this to all of these pinheads in Aspen and all these other places that think they're going to mandate affordable housing and all these kinds of things because it, it ends up the same way. But in a larger scale, you know, in St. Louis, as I've talked about before, all their assumptions about what they were going to be able to accomplish were wrong. All of their assumptions about how the economy was going to go in St. Louis, where jobs were going to be, things like that, all of them were wrong. It's because the, the idea behind the affordable housing sprung out of the idea that you could plan an economy, and you can't. So, you know, to start off with, the housing project was built in the wrong spot. It wasn't built where the jobs were going to be. The jobs were fleeing this area. And so the people moving in there weren't going to find jobs. And then, you know, the the fundamental thing that I got out of it, there are many good things to get out of this, this little exploration of uh, 
bad ideas. But politicians don't like to work on someone else's project. I mean, that's like a maxim that I pulled out of that that I think is completely true. So if you create a project and it's not going the right direction and it needs retooling, some money, some time, some redoing, and you're not there anymore, or even if you are sometimes, you don't want to do that because politicians are all about the new, right? They want their own projects, their own housing project, their own this, their own park, their own that. They don't want to fix somebody else's mistake. They're not interested in that. So these projects, when they start going south, tend to lie fallow. And they throw money at them a little bit, but not, you know, they don't get involved in redoing it. They have their own, they have a new project, another housing project like this one, but different. It has their name on it. And so these projects go on and on and the old ones just devolve and no one wants to touch them. And when they get bad enough to where trying to fix them is really a hard task and may not even be successful, not in the, the way you would like, then no one wants to fix it. And they all just sort of look the other way or blame something else. You know, they, as uh, some people say, they, to avoid the felony, they concentrate on the misdemeanor, right? They find some other problem to chase around and let this other thing exist out there and try and act like it'll go away if they don't look at it. That's what you learn. And if you think about that and you look at all the programs and stuff we've come up with in just this last administration, you see how many of them are, are going to just be terrible. All of this climate change stuff, it's going to go, oof. I mean, we also, there's a story I have here, too, by the way, that the uh, uh, the key Treasury Department office taps a new climate czar to push wokeness on banks. Now, that this is from the Daily Wire. That's their headline. What really happens is the office of the comptroller of the currency, they've installed this person in uh, who is just a climate change loon, and her name is Chen, I think, and I'm trying to figure out her first name is. But she's going to lead climate risk efforts related to supervision, policy, and external engagement in the Treasury Department and financial services. And what they think is going on here, and this is actually a pretty good thing that's been written from uh, the Heritage Foundation. And the woman that wrote it is a Diana, oh, I would have to say her name because it's Furchgott Roth. And that she believes that this this Chen person uh, it will encourage the financial sectors, use the Treasury Department's power like over currency and distribution and so forth to uh, prevent them from financing oil and gas projects and instead try and turn towards green energy initiatives. In other words, things that we need and make money to things that we don't need that cost money. That seems an easy enough job, huh? Uh, and this is a quote from this woman, well, this researcher she said, she'll be able to tell banks that certain investments will be discouraged because they might pose a climate risk. Say, for example, a bank wanted to lend money for a coal mine. She has the ability to advise the Office of the Comptroller Currency to downgrade that bank and say, this is a risky investment. The OCC does have power, that's the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, a power over risky investments. But in the past, climate change has not been looked on as a risk. So you can see how that would work. There's an insidious thing going on in the financial markets now. We all know what happened with MasterCard, American Express, and um, Visa, categorizing gun purchases out of uh, pressure from the government and all of these groups that are might as well be in the government. And uh, this is what's happening is they are embedding these people. 
uh, in my state here in Colorado with you guys, uh, John Hickenlooper, the last governor, was a master of that, of wandering around with a goofy grin on his face and a bad haircut, and in the meantime, installing one loon after another into various boards and positions to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And many uh, times it was complex things that were just tweaking the system, you know, nudging the system, you know. That's a bad investment. I'm not sure the state could support that. Or, you know, the banking, you know, now that's more of a federal thing. But, I mean, uh, the Public Utilities Commission in Colorado has been completely politicized over the last 15 years. Instead of from a, a protective group that was mainly to make sure that uh, rate payers weren't gouged, uh, it's now become a political arm, and now it's pretty much a climate change operation. And that's because of the appointments they make. And this is what's happening in the federal government. I mean, and it's these second and third tier appointments. I mean, not necessarily the Secretary of Energy or things, but these people that are regulating and uh, enforcing these regulations on financial institutions and stuff like that. And we have enough trouble with them anyway because half of them are all woke because uh, the people that work there are all woke and they're, they want to look like they're virtue signaling because they live in New York and places like that. So there's enough problems with that as it is. So we can have all sorts of problems in our uh, financial systems and not quite figure out what's going wrong because of installation of people like this. This is why you need a strong leader in the form of a president. Someone's got to get in and clean house. And it used to be you cleaned house by just changing the cabinet-level positions out. Now you've got to get in there, and you're going to have to go two or three levels in every one of these departments to get rid of these folks because they've been embedding them for years in here. And not just at the appointment level, but at the so-called professional level. Someone's got to get in there and just take a clean sheet of paper to these places. they got to just clean this out. And we need somebody that's strong. I think Trump can do it because he can take the heat. DeSantis could probably do it, but not very many. And if we don't get that done, it's not going to get fixed. We'll see you guys next week.